Our patient today is a six foot nine, 240 pound, 28 year old male, better known as Kevin Durant. Katie suffered a grade two MCL sprain on February 28th. We're going to talk about evaluation of MCL sprains, along with what this means for him moving forward in the playoffs. I'm Ben Davis, faculty physician at Swedish First Hill Family Medicine Residency. And I'm Jeremy Johnson. I'm a sports medicine physician from the Polyclinic in Seattle, Washington. And this is The Break. here so I won't get fined. I just had to play the long intro that time. I just love it too much. So Jeremy, MCL. Uh, what does the MCL do? What is it made out of? Can I give us the, the MCL 101? So the MCL is also known as the medial collateral ligament. It's located on the inside of the knee and it's one of the four main stabilizing structures of the knee. Basically, it keeps the knee from going side to side rather than its normal flexion extension. There's actually two components. There's a deep component, and that's actually attached to the meniscus. And there's a superficial component, which is the main part that is giving the knee stability from a valgus force. And to remind yourself what valgus is, that's usually when the knee is closer to the midline and the ankle is farther away. So Kevin Durant, he had this injury. Uh, this was a contact injury versus a non-contact injury where his teammate essentially fell on his leg. Is this a typical mechanism is it that we normally see for MCLs? And if not, what, what are the mechanisms we normally see? Yeah, this is totally textbook in terms of what we see for MCL injuries. Basically, usually the player has his foot planted and he receives a force from the outside pushing his knee inward. That's a valgus force again, and that's the most common way that people get these types of injuries. I've also seen them when the knee is kind of forced, like in a wrestler um, is doing a certain hold that's pushing the knee in that same direction, but most typically it's an acute injury. Speaking of uh, contact and non-contact, normally sportscasters will like to say it's a non-contact injury that's devastating because those are typically worse. Is there, is that true? Is, are non-contact injuries typically w- worse than contact injuries? Or is that just a, a myth that we like to perpetuate in sports? I don't know if that's a true, I haven't read any sort of research on that in terms of it being true or not. But what I can tell you is that if most non-contact injuries are injuries waiting to happen, meaning that that player probably has some sort of predisposition or a previous injury that is leading to that. So Kevin Durant walks into your office. He, he barely makes it through the door because he's so tall. Uh, what are the 
physical exam maneuvers that you're going to go to. I know uh, for MCL, there's not a lot of data on evidence-based maneuvers, what's the, the best likelihood ratio or sensitivity or specificity. But if some patient comes to your office, what are the physical exam maneuvers you're going to be doing? The first part of any exam actually should be palpation. So you want to find out where that injury is. Uh, the MCL is located on the most medial aspect of the knee and extends from the top of the tibia to the bottom of the medial epicondyle. So you mentioned 30 degrees. As a family doc, I, I see lots of rotator cuff injuries, knee injuries, and we talk a lot about degrees. When you're talking about 30 degrees with the knee, can you uh, clarify what we're talking about? So zero degrees is when the knee is completely extended, and 30 degrees is approximately when the knee is flexed about three inches below that. Now, you've done your physical exam maneuvers. Um, is there a role for imaging? Um, and if so, what are your indications? What are you thinking about when you're going to pull the trigger on an x-ray or an MRI, or, and what are you going to get? So usually I want to see how severe the injury is. If a patient's not able to bear weight, you definitely want to get x-rays just to make sure there's no bony injury. If I do see laxity on my exam, meaning the knee actually has some looseness or instability, the next modality to use is the MRI, as that's going to be the most sensitive to see the MCL injury, as well as injuries that usually occur with the MCL injury, which is either a meniscus injury or an ACL injury. What I think about when I'm deciding to do imaging really is, is there just an MCL injury or is there going to be an associated injury in the joint? And how I differentiate that is if there's swelling in the knee joint, that means there's something else going on. Whereas an MCL injury that's only an MCL injury is not going to have any joint effusion. So we know it's a grade two sprain now, and there's various grades for the sprain. You know, usually when somebody has one of these MCL injuries, uh, I remember when Steph Curry had the same injury, you tend to have a lot of people who are going online, Googling grade two MCL sprain and reading the first link that they get. What is the difference between these grades and how does it affect treatment? The simplest way to divide this up is grade one, in my mind, means there's no instability. Grade two means that there's a tear, but that tear doesn't go the whole way through the ligament. Grade three means that there's a complete tear. On exam, what that's going to look like is grade one. When you put the valgus stress on the knee, they're going to have pain where the MCL is, but really no significant laxity. Grade two, they're going to have pain and you're going to feel a little bit of laxity. But there's going to be a good endpoint to that exam. Grade three, when you have them at 30 degrees and put that valgus stress on, that knee is going to open up. So in terms of recovery time, do the different grades have different recovery times? Yeah, so we use grade as really to figure out what to expect in terms of recovery and to figure out the right treatment. So grade one, which is the least severe injury, Usually these patients can start weight-bearing right away, and primarily you want to start out with PRICE treatment. So PRICE treatment is P-R-I-C-E, and that stands for protection, usually with a brace, um, rest, icing, and I usually do that for 15 minutes at a time and repeat that after about a half an hour. Compression with using some sort of ACE wrap bandage or a, different, or a brace as well, and then elevation. This is the mainstay of any sort of initial injury and can really help people get back. Once they can tolerate it, you want to get them moving the knee in just kind of a simple flexion extension. From there, 
we're going to add on strengthening. Typically, grade one injuries are going to heal, you know, somewhere between one and four weeks, really depending on the severity of the injury, and you're going to advance them as tolerated. Grade two injuries, the total healing time is really going to be around four to six weeks. Depending on the severity of the laxity, you may actually want to put them in a brace that can be locked in extension initially. That's usually pretty rare and has to do with more severe injuries. Grade three, these individuals sometimes are not able to bear weight. You want to put them in a long leg brace and actually have them locked in extension. However, you don't want them locked in that all day and you can have them take it off for range of motion exercises two to three times a day. Again, the first day of any initial treatment is going to be the price therapy. You can use medications to bring down inflammation and really start out with range of motion. Yeah, that actually fits Katie's recovery time to a T. So he was injured on the 28th of February and came back. Uh, his return to action date was April 8th. So just about five weeks in that four to six time range. So I think the, what's important is to realize that the initial recovery doesn't always prepare people to really return to play. And so when we're talking about return to play, basically, I really want them to have full strength and full range of motion. And then I go by what's called the rule of 20s. So they need to be able to jump 20 times, cut 20 times, sprint 20 yards without any pain. And if they can do that, they're usually ready to play. Another important aspect of this is what we call proprioception. And that's really kind of a fancy word of saying, where is my body in space? And these are usually things that we don't have to think about on a day-to-day basis. But when we are either playing sports or when we're walking on uneven sidewalks or going hiking, we need to be able to react to the different sort of forces that happen at a split second. And what proprioception is, is basically working on our balance and our control in those quick sort of movements. So we'd normally wrap things up right there, but the plot thickened for Katie. He returned to action April 8th, like we mentioned, but then suffered a calf strain on the same leg on April 19th, game one during the the Blazers game. Um, It was unclear when this happened. He was kind of limping after a jump shot. So my question for you, a lot of people are saying this is a compensatory injury because of his MCL sprain. Was he rushed back too early? Is this a a common complication of somebody who has an MCL or even an, a, another type of knee injury? So the answer, the short answer is definitely yes. You may know this already, but when someone has a calf strain, that often is the medial gastroc muscle. The medial gastroc um, basically extends from the calf up beyond the knee joint on the inside. Now that's right next to the MCL and we're, Whereas I can tell you there's no studies that say that these are definitely related. I can tell you he was probably using that medial gastroc a little bit more than he would rather than that with that MCL injury in place. The other thing with any injury to a ligament, there's also injury to the nerve fibers within that ligament. Now, again, I'm going to bring up that word proprioception. And that's about telling where our body is in space and making quick reactions based on that. And... Whenever a ligament is injured, much like in the ankle, that proprioception gets affected. There have been studies that show that the proprioception takes about a year to actually get back. And so these things can take time. And definitely, you really want to work those athletes or yourself um, on balance exercises. Exercises are involve cutting and actual return to play sort of situations. 
when someone's really back and they can do kind of full game, full play, that's when they're really ready to get back. As with many of these kind of world-class athletes, they get pushed a little bit faster um, to get back into play. And sometimes these sort of injuries can happen. The end of the story is that he came back to action in game four, as everyone knows now, on April 25th. So that was the strain on the 19th, and he was back to return to high-level action six days. Does that sound about right? or So likely what that means is his strain actually was not a gastroc strain, like I just mentioned. It was probably a, what we call a soleus strain. So remember, a calf injury, a calf has both the soleus and the gastroc. Typically, gastrox take somewhere between three and six weeks to get better, whereas soleus strains usually take about a week to get better. What should we look out for? You know, so he's had two left lower left leg injuries now. Um, is there certain maneuvers that we should be looking at? Like, is this going to affect his explosiveness, his ability to jump, his ability to cut? Um, is there, if you were advising him, would you tell him to avoid certain maneuvers? So... In regards to the calf strain, definitely his explosiveness is going to be compromised. Depends on how severe it was. If it was just a very small strain, my guess is he's he's going to return and not have any issues. But if it was a little bit more severe strain, he may not be able to explode as fast as he can before. And my guess also is coming down from jumps, going up for jumps, he's going to be a little bit more hesitant because he doesn't have that same stability as there is before. Right. Well, thanks, Jeremy, and we will see you guys next time. Great. The Break is produced by Ben Davis. If you have any questions about MCL sprains or any feedback for the podcast, feel free to email us at breakthepodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in medical podcasts, I host another one called Grayscale. That's G-R-E-Y, where we discuss difficult patient encounters with physicians. You can find that on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be hoping to bring you new cases each month with pertinent professional athlete injuries where we evaluate in a sports medicine context. I'm just here so I won't get fined.